Welcome back to the Mac Podcast, where we talk business, entrepreneurship, and of course, real estate, all without the conventional thinking of normal society. We try to unfollow the herd here and break free from, uh, you know, just original thoughts and thinking and try to provide a different route so you can retire earlier, faster, and have a more successful uh, career in, in yourself. Today, I have a guest um, who I'm really excited about because she knows this space so well in the real estate space. She's an active GP. She's also an LP, which we're going to get into those further. But she's a GP, meaning managing millions of real estate in operation today. She's invested as an LP investor and knows exactly why you should be interested about investing as an LP. Um, I met this gal on LinkedIn, uh, learned a lot from her in the asset management space and the GP and LP space. Um, she's a very good educator and she has a coaching program going on. Uh, welcome, uh, Sand- Sandia Shashardi. Thank it? you so much for having me, Matt. You pronounced my name great, Sandia okay. Shashardi here. Um, yeah. You make such excellent content on LinkedIn, inspire people to yeah. uh, unfollow the herd and start on their own journey to financial freedom and most importantly, freedom of schedule. So I'm very delighted to be here. Yeah, you you share a lot of them in, in this space, and that's why I enjoy your content so much. And uh, I think we have a lot of commonalities, and hopefully, we can help educate a little bit today. And and you're just a a ball of information. I'm I'm still learning every day, and uh, so uh, that's why I wanted you on here to help educate some of the LPs in the space, which would be limited investors. But I I kind of wanted you to go through what you know what is a GP and an LP in your mind, and how do you how do you best explain that? The best analogy I can use for it is uh, being on an airplane. So an LP is like the passenger in a plane. You you know choose your route, you buy your ticket, you pick your airline, and then you sit back and enjoy the ride. And that's exactly what a passive investor or limited partner, LP as we refer to it, does. You do your initial screening. You get to know the operators or the sponsors or the general partners or GPs, as we say. And they are the pilots. So they are the pilot and co-pilot sitting at the cockpit who determine the route, who handle all the turbulence, who steer you to your destination while you sit back and enjoy the ride. So the general partners are like the CEOs of your big companies, like your Amazons and Apples. They make all the decisions for the company. They choose when to buy, sell, trade, do anything else within the company, acquisitions, mergers, anything else, or what business lines to you know get into. While you as a stockholder are like that passive investor sitting back and you hope that it appreciates in value, some stocks might give you dividends, et cetera. That's exactly the role of a general partner versus a limited partner, is the general partners are the decision makers, but they take on all the liabilities, like signing the loan, getting sued by tenants, all of that falls on the general partner. If there's a flood, if there's a fire, if there's anything else going on, the whole tenants, trash, toilets, termites, the four T's as we call it, is handled by the general partners. And there is no liability on you as a limited partner, you just sit back and enjoy the ride. And that's why I still do both, because as a limited partner, I don't have any work to do once the investment starts. I mean, I periodically monitor the financials, but then I sit back and enjoy the ride versus as a general partner. The minute there is a problem, I'm right there. I have to show up to my properties. I got to get involved. I got to make sure property management is doing the right thing, et cetera. So yeah, a good blend of both is what I need. What uh, 
where did you start? Did you start as an LP and then and then got, you know, kind of into the game of of being a syndicator and being a GP? Is that is that how you started? Yes, that's exactly what I recommend, right? You're not going to go straight into flying a plane until maybe you've been a passenger on a plane on at least one ride and you can share that experience. You can empathize with people. So the reason I'm a limited partner also is because I still see things from the perspective of a limited partner or passive investor. I know what it's like to risk your hard-earned money. You're trusting somebody else to take control of that, whether you're buying Apple stock or you're you know, investing in a syndication to buy an asset. Either way, so I, I know what that feels like. So if I'm going to go about making posts on LinkedIn and Facebook saying, hey, passive income is the greatest thing since sliced bread, I should also be doing it, right? Yeah. So I should also practice what I preach. I think it's also a great way to get started in anything new is to test the waters without taking on all the risk yourself. So mm. I did not have any kind of a real estate background prior to getting into multifamily. I have not done fix and flips or single family rentals. So okay. for me to get started right away by taking charge of a deal would have been too much of a big step. So I invested passively with my retirement money from a prior employer. And that was less risky for me because it was money I was not counting on for a very long time. I had at least a decade before I was going to even consider tapping into that money. So I could afford to be illiquid with that money, which is very important to remember is that real estate is not as liquid as money in the bank or a stock in your you know, brokerage account that you can cash tomorrow if you needed it. So those right. are the reasons why I started out as a limited partner. And now I do both. Well, I find that interesting. So, you know, I, I live in the Midwest. I think you're, you're down in Dallas and, uh, you know, you got a lot of do it yourselfers that like, you know, they're curious about real estate investment. Like, how can I do this myself? And, you know, should I go buy a duplex and just start managing it and do everything myself right away? Or, um, you know, they don't even know this other option being an LP, you know, what, what would you tell the beginner, you know, the very beginner that maybe has 50 to hundred grand capital looking to just go buy their first VRBO and create an experience with very little experience on their half, or would you rather passively invest that with an experienced operator? You know, um, what would you, you know what I mean? What would you tell that young person or, you know, even if it's just their first deal? I think for anyone, it's a matter of how much risk you want to tolerate. So when you want to go and be in control and do everything yourself, you might be making a lot of mistakes, but at least it's mistakes with your own 50K. It's not other people's money. I think gotcha. the biggest challenge I see is when newbies want to go and do large syndications on their own and they don't have somebody with experience on their team because large multifamily is a team sport. Now, if you want to buy your own single family rental and uh, or a duplex and then flip it or rent it out, etc., you're still only taking a risk with your own money typically. But yeah. when it's large number of multifamily doors, it's a team sport. You need a large team around you and you don't want to risk other people's money. And that's why I say always go with somebody with experience. I also think it depends on your background. If you grew up with a, you know, a family who's already done rental properties, is used to construction, used to fix and flips, maybe you have a handy person background. And so when there's a leaky toilet, you know what to do. You're not going to get ripped off by some handy <laughs> contractor who comes in to do the work, right? So it's also a matter of your background and your comfort level. Also, is this property in your backyard that you can check on frequently, et cetera, versus, you know, it's in a different mm. state and how often can you visit it, right? So there's a lot of little yeah. different factors that go into that. But if I had $50,000 and my ultimate goal, what do you want to be in five years? Do you want to be running large properties, 100, 200 plus door properties? 
you also want to look at that and say, okay, today, how much time is it going to take me to run my own duplex versus putting mm. that 50K in another sponsorship where I have the conversation up front with a general partner and explain to them, hey, I'm just investing this to learn. So I want to be as hands-on as possible because the next one, I want to go out on my own. So I'm hoping to learn from you. So that's why I'm investing this 50K. So it sort of also has to align with your risk tolerance and your goals. Where do you want to be two, three, five years from now yeah. and therefore channel it that way? Plus using your background and your strengths. In my case, I have an engineering background. I'm very good with spreadsheets. Numbers don't frighten me at all. But I don't have that construction background when I got started. Now, uh, several years into it, I've done a lot of rehab projects. I can yeah. easily assess the costs, et cetera. But I didn't start out with that background. So for me, it was important to go with experience. I also did not want to still, to some extent, deal with that 40s, tenants, uh, toilets, trash, and termites, because in a duplex, in a single family, it's hard to afford third-party property management company yeah. to do all that for you. So you're going to end up doing a lot of that yourself. And I wanted to avoid that. So I went straight from zero to 86 doors as my first deal. And so to do that, I partnered with people with experience because they had already done all of the single family, smaller multifamily. They wanted to get into the Texas market where I had lived for over 30 years. So I had the okay. local market knowledge and expertise. So I served as their boots on the ground. So you've got to find a way that the partnership makes sense. So you're still, whatever it is that is your three or five year goal, this first step is steering you towards that. Yeah, I always tell, yeah, you're completely right i think if if you had 50 or 100 grand and you're like not sure like some people are like hey what do you think i should buy and it's like well, i don't know what do you know and it's like well i don't know i'm just starting to learn about real estate and then you you know like hey i want to go buy a fourplex or something it's like i mean i would spend the 50 grand and maybe just throw it on yourself like educate yourself figure out what you know what are you learning and how are you learning it <laughs> because if you're not doing that i almost would tell you positively to go put it in a syndication, learn from an experienced operator. Uh, you did that as well. I'm sure learned a lot. Um, yep. and then, and then you'll just miss the mistakes because like what I hate to see, and I see this happen and people come to me and it's like, ah, I lost money in a deal. I did a flip. Well, when did you do the flip? Well, I did it in the last six months and interest rates have been rising and I had to just, mm -hmm. you know, sell it. It's like, well, you probably you know, shouldn't have sold it. You should have just refinanced it where it was and, and waited a little longer, but you know, they just panic flip because everything's going to go straight down to the, you know, everyone's, everything's going to zero. You panic sell. It's no different how investing in the stock market, the freaking hedge funds are set up to win where you being just the small investor, you get, it keeps going down at some point they're hoping you sell. Right. And then some other investor is going to suck up the opportunity. So, uh, but I, I just see so many people with, you know, 50 to hundred grand, whatever they want to do something. And maybe they have zero money. Um, and they have to do that, but they make a lot of mistakes. And I think they can educate themselves out of that, um, by working with a general partner, someone experienced someone to know what to look for, to buy, you know, there's so many good questions you can ask to a great general partner. And yeah, it, it might only be a year you do that and you might do your own deal, right? Like it's temporary. And, and that's exactly your story, which, which I love here. Um, well, how did you get, you know, how did you get curious about limited investing? Why, why weren't you just following the 401k method? And, um, you know, what, what was like your story of like kind of getting to like, man, I gotta, I gotta try this. People are doing it and having success. Why, what led you down that path? 
first big one was that, you know, 90% of millionaires become so through real estate. So I always wanted to have something to do with real estate. But because of my lack of handy person background, I was afraid of fix and flips and single family rentals, you know, getting that call about a leaky toilet on Thanksgiving Day just wasn't appealing. (laughs) So either way, single family and small multifamily didn't appeal or any kind of construction related stuff back then when I didn't have the broader background. I also wanted to have a way to have some tax advantages. And uh, starting my own business, I did not have some creative idea to just start with a product. And it just seemed like too risky. But when a friend told me about large multifamily and that there are mentoring programs that can help you uh, and you can find other mentors with more experience with from whom you can sort of learn hands on, then it was appealing. And for me to go into something, you always want to test the waters by being a passive investor, in my opinion. So let's just say that I suddenly got interested in a new asset class like I don't know, RV boats or something. I would want to understand it. I would want to know how to underwrite it. I would want to study the market, et cetera. And you can do all of that without taking on the liabilities by being a passive investor. And for me, the second one was that I had retirement money that was all sitting in mutual funds and 401ks for which I did not have any idea what the mix of stocks were, et cetera. Like I'm an active stock trader, but when you're in a company's 401k plan, it's like a black box. You have no idea what that mix is. You have no idea what the fees are, et cetera. It's hard to monitor the progress of that. So when I was no longer in my W-2, that was money that I could therefore roll into a self-directed IRA or a solo 401k. And it was money that I was not counting on for over a decade to retire. So you could afford to, I could afford to invest that in real estate without expecting a lot of immediate returns. And that's the most important thing I tell people is when you're ready to invest in real estate, remember that it's illiquid. It's not something you can just turn into cash tomorrow if you needed it. And I have access to those funds and I had, you know, several hundred thousand sitting there in a 401k. So putting 50k into my first deal passively and it was a local deal. That's another thing I recommend is for me, Dallas, Fort Worth is my market. So if you want to do your first investment, do it with an operator who is willing to teach you and help you, as well as in a local market where you eventually want to be investing in. So mm. those two made it for great learning for me because I would pass that property, my passive investing property, on my way to the property I eventually acquired to be a general partner on my first deal. So that wow, helps awesome. you a lot in terms of experience in your local market. Yeah. What, how important is that boots on the ground? I know you've said that a few times now and, and everyone, you know, so I'm up in North Dakota, right. And, um, you know, no one's renting VRBOs up here. I mean, maybe on the lakes and for a short amount of time, but like you got that sunbelt market, um, you know, what's some of the problems, whether you did short-term rentals or long-term rentals without boots on the ground, what, you know, what challenges are they going to face? So I can quote a recent story about this huge foreclosures that happened in Houston with an operator who I actually know who was in the same program as I was. Um, And the biggest reason that it was very attractive for a lot of people to invest in. And the reason I stayed away from it is because I knew that he was here in the Dallas area, but all of the properties were in Houston, which, you know, as you might say, Dallas and Houston aren't that far. But I know that you have to hop on your car and drive for over four hours in traffic to get there, 
which mm-hmm. means it's a planned trip. You can't just show up there. Like my properties in Dallas are all within a 30 minute drive of my house. I could literally be there in 30 minutes right now if I had to at one of my properties. And I drive by many of my properties before I even get to a restaurant or some other you know, location or the airport for that matter. So I feel like if you are not going to be checking on your properties on a regular basis and you're not the local expert in that area, you just don't know those sub-markets. Houston mm-hmm. in particular is different from Dallas in that within a couple of blocks, the scenery changes from, you know, an A-class fancy apartment to, you know, drug dealers and all of those kind of problems. Mm-hmm. So Houston especially, I would say that you need a local expert to help you go the between different blocks and different sides. The other piece of Houston as an example market in Texas or Corpus Christi for that matter is you got to worry about floodplains, you got to look at insurance costs, etc. So a lot of little details like that you only know because you are local. So you don't have to be local to invest there, but you got to have somebody who is a partner who knows that local market really well and ideally is already running deals there because the gotcha. nuances are very, very different. So taxes are huge for us in Texas. I know the difference between different counties and judges for evictions and things of that nature. So oh. local expertise makes a huge difference. And if the property management company knows that you're not going to show up to the property, the way they deal with things is very different than when they know, oh, she could just be here in minutes and could be checking on something. So right. it's that checks and balances, you know, trust but verify. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that help you, you know, asset management, which we can get it a little deeper into that too. I mean, I, you're right. I, I'm just thinking even my, I, I mean, we're not rural by any means, but we're in a town of 100,000, which is smaller uh, in in, in mm-hmm. terms of Dallas. But, you know, yeah, there's different areas. It switches in five minutes. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. you know, there's towns around us with 300,000 and they're still an hour away and I'm still figuring out those towns. And this is just, small North Dakota. We don't even, you know, so uh, it's definitely super important to have boots on the ground. Is there, so, so say I find a property in Dallas or somewhere near, how do you go about if you're, you know, maybe, you know, we're talking as GPs, but even if you're just in a new time investor, just a, you know, an investor that's not a GP yet, what, how do you, do you just find someone local in the market? Do you ask the brokers? How do you find boots on the ground if you still believe in the deal and you want to buy? I think it? the biggest thing with partnerships, if you're thinking of another general partner, is to get to know them very, very well. Okay. Uh, because business partnerships are like a marriage, you're signing loans together. So you want to date first before gotcha. you get into a business marriage relationship. It's also their values. Have you done a background check on this person? What is their path history? Um, you know, credit history. So many things matter when you sign loans together because all it takes is, I mean, we always go for what we call non-recourse loans with mm. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. But one little mistake and the loan becomes recourse instead of non-recourse. And all mm. of you who signed the loan together are liable for these things. So I say be very, very careful in partnerships because the first few conversations with anyone goes very well and we're all becoming best friends. We like each other. It's one thing to have a beer together with someone. It's a totally different thing to be in a partnership because this is a marriage you're tied to for the entire whole period of the asset. So referrals are great, but build that relationship, really know your values, ask the tough questions. For example, if the deal is doing badly, we have an ice storm in Dallas for eight days in a row back in Feb 2021. And wow. what if pipes burst and 40 units are down? 
I was blessed that I only had two units down. So we were able to rehab those fairly quickly. What if 40 units are down and you have to put in cash because it's going to take you a while to get insurance payout. You don't want to have 40 down units for three months while you wait for those checks. Who's willing to put in the money? You want to have those hard questions. Who's liquid enough to have that kind of money? What is your value system in terms of reporting to your investors? Are you just after those acquisition fees, right? So you really need to make sure your values are the same when you go into partnerships, just like date before you get married. I can't (laughs) emphasize this enough. But yes, once you get past that stage, you already know someone, you're comfortable with the way they operate. Um, Making a local boots on the ground is essential, at least to have as a consultant, a reference point, somebody who can check on the property for you, Um, It's very important and to have that local market expertise. Broker is always going to present everything in a very nice light. They're going to present the best possible picture because remember, the broker works for the seller, not for the buyer. So I cannot emphasize enough the value of boots on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, And well, in partnerships, I agree, right? They're the easiest Mm -hmm. thing to get in and the hardest thing to try to resolve. Yeah, yeah. And right. Yeah. Um, maybe as a, you know, as an asset manager and, and you know, as these big deals, like, you know, bigger deals get a little more complicated, you got more GPs and um, explain going into a deal with, you know, I don't know, how many GPs have you heard of going into one deal? So there are many large deals where there's even 20 GPs, but there's only two or three of them who are the core team. My deals tend to have anywhere from three to four general partners is very typical. And uh, we as partners, we have our roles defined. I have one partner who is a PhD in electrical engineering. I only have a bachelor's and master's, but he just loves his electric circuits. He loves to talk about chillers and boilers and circuits (laughs) and all of that kind of stuff. He's usually the person who has those phone calls with them. I have another partner who loves his numbers, underwriting, and all of those things. And so do I. So he might do the initial underwriting. I'll be the second one to independently write in and check things. But I'm usually the local boots on the ground. I take on the budgets. I take on the interiors. So financially, I make sure we're not overspending in one thing versus another. And I usually work on the relationship and the community activities. That's big for me. Being the PTA mom that I am, I do a lot of community activities at my properties. I partner with local organizations. We do things like 4th of July cookout and pool kickoff, popsicles by the pool, a Halloween costume party, Easter egg hunt, and for pictures with Santa and all of that at the property. So the community building aspect is very huge for us in terms of not just liking the tenants and appreciating them for who they are, but also in terms of retention, because it builds a community. Mm. Tenants know each other. They complain to us about, you know, the ones who are making a lot of noise or they smell something funny coming out of their units. But also when there are tough times, they have a relationship already with our property manager Mm. to have the tough conversations to say, this is why I'm not able to pay my rent in full. What can we do? And we help them with rental assistance programs, et cetera. And it promotes retention. And the more retention you have in your properties, that means you have more tenants renewing and staying at your property. You are reducing your turn costs. So your units Uh are always occupied and not vacant for as many days, like the empty seats on a plane that took off. Uh So community activities do directly tie as a business advantage. And so we're known as the property that has all the cool parties on a regular basis. And, you know, we have more... um, Tenants coming in through referrals than any other method. 
Really? Wow. Well, that's that's actually super cool. I guess I, I I'm 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 slacking on my properties. Then I I need to do more Fourth uh, of July parties and 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 all of that's so you're busy with that, obviously, and that's important. I think it's no different than I have a company that like doing culture, like culture is such a big piece right. community. It's mm-hmm. like uh, my employees go and find new employees. You know what I mean? Referrals, no different mm-hmm. than the tenants. But if you have a good culture at your your buildings, it's it's hard to fight that. And and usually those yeah. people will take care of you and back you up instead of mm-hmm. them all hating the landlord because you made right. them do X amount. So I love that. Actually, that's a great way, great way to put it. Um, being an asset manager um, too, I mean, your uh, real estate's not passive. We, we, we know that, mm-hmm. right? Like you're hosting these parties or, or organizing them. What, uh, you know, what, what are some fun things that you could share on like, you have a property manager as well, right? That's not you. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. how you still need to manage that manager, right? Like things slip through the cracks. People see different things, right? Um, I think it's so important to people like, oh, no, I have a property manager. We're good. We'll just set it and forget mm-hmm. it. It's like a turkey baster yeah. on an infomercial. Uh, no, it's mm-hmm. not like that. What are What are some of the things that you do each day that you have to do besides the property manager probably won't or just doesn't see that you, what you do? So the asset manager reports to many different people. So, of course, you always report to your lender, your insurance company, and your city inspector. But you also report to your residents or your customers as well as your investors. So the property manager on site is the one who does the day-to-day management. Like some tenant has a leaky toilet, they coordinate the maintenance guy to go take care of that. Versus an asset manager looks at it as the financial reporting side of things, the budgeting They're making sure that we are in compliance with all the requirements and regulations from all these five different bosses I explained to you. And it's like having a helicopter view of your property, but then deep diving into the rabbit holes if needed. So it's like a project management role, which is what I used to do for my company. And it's very important to have that perspective because your property manager on site, your maintenance on site, they're all good people, but they're paid in the range of, you know, 50 to 70K kind of salaries. Here you are managing tens of millions of dollars of investors' money. That's a very big responsibility. So you need to keep you know that in front of you. So yeah. the rate caps, the floating rate loans, the interest rate hikes, all the other regulatory changes that are happening. So you need to have that bigger picture. And that's the role of an asset manager is you report to all of these different people. And so you are that liaison between your investors and the higher authorities to your local property mm-hmm. management. And yeah. you are that bridge. That's a, that's a great way to put it. How often do you like, do you try to make sure you're communicating with, um, not, not necessarily the property manager, but how about the investor side? Like how, how, how far, how, how often do you relate to the investors, the LPs? How, how often are they communicated with? We send monthly financial reports as well as a summary of activities. And especially at the beginning, it's at least once a month, but anyone who has questions knows all of our phone numbers and emails and they, uh, you know, contact us anytime they want they all have me on text etc and i have investors who really you know invested with me in five six deals etc so they already okay. know what which yeah. deal might be you know doing really great versus which deal might have a little challenge so when there's a challenge going on they'll ask me hey is this result how is this going etc kind of communications but as far as formal reporting goes it's once a month and it's full financials you get bank statements you get the actual you know 
variance reports between budget versus actual, the income statement, the balance sheet, and okay. all of that. So those who want to dig deep into those numbers are welcome to do so, but the others get a high-level summary. You know, if we had a resident activity or this month we, you know, did the exterior paint project, here's the before and after pictures okay, kind cool. of things. Yeah. So, but cool. ultimately, when the distributions happen on time, I typically don't get any calls. If for any reason I have to stop the distribution, then I get the phone calls. Yeah. And it's not all, you know, rainbows and sunshine and roses kind of life, right? I talked about asset management horror stories at the MFINCON Multifamily Investor Nation Conference. And one of them was when the gas lines were changed by Atmos Energy at the street level. Um, the buildings failed pressure testing, which means you could not get gas turn back on at your buildings mm -hmm. people don't have hot water because we have a boiler so the mm -hmm. city pretty much said that if you don't get it turned on by midnight tonight we're going to pull your cfo certificate of occupancy which oh, means geez. that you have to house everybody 150 plus residents in a hotel so even if you have to do that for one night you pretty much are going to lose a lot of money oh. so that's where you know, that's where being boots on the ground really helped me because in less than 30 minutes, I was at the property. I was able to go to the local pizza place and order $2,000 worth of pizza to distribute to residents. The inspector saw that we were keen on helping people. We are not, you know, these greedy landlords as media portrays us. And he gave us some grace period till midnight that night. We were able to get the hot water turned back on. Wow. And then it took us another couple of days to get the stoves turned back on. And so we were able to get them gift cards. The microwaves and refrigerators were working. So all of that really helped. But being local, I was able to get there quickly because my property manager on the side did not have a credit card to authorize her to do that much spending. And the pizza wow. place wanted us to come in person for such a large, large order. They would not take something online. And so I cannot emphasize enough the importance of having relationships with your authorities, whether that's your lender doing their visit, the inspector, city inspector doing their walkthrough for a CFO, certificate mm. of occupancy, or even your insurance coming to assess the buildings for safety to give you proper insurance. So I would say be local, go and meet them. It really makes a difference to your relationships because this is still very much a people and relationship business. And so remote control doesn't always work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hundred percent. I love that. You know, some of your best investors have your number. They'll, they'll call. And I love how you said yeah. uh, they, they only call when there's a problem or there's a change to distributions. Um, I think we can all relate to that as a GP. If anything changes on the distribution side, you're, you're probably going to get a ring. And um, yeah. but I, love, I love how you said you tell them, you know, tell them the solution that what you're trying to do, right? Like there's a problem. You just got to be straight with them. Don't, fluff it yeah, up. It's not problem. rainbows every day in any business. Right. And uh, so um, I love how you said that because, you know, it isn't all rainbows every day. Unfortunately, things happen and it's outside of our control, but uh, we do our best to react to them with the experience that we have. And I think that's a, a great way to put it. Um, here's a question I get all the time. And I, I want you to explain this. This is just, you know, say the, say someone has 500,000 in their 401k or, or, you know, up to a million or whatever. Uh, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you guys. Um, how do, but maybe they're still in, I, I think there's a deal if they're still employed, they can't roll it into a self-directed. Cause I think you were explaining in the beginning a little bit, Hey, I actually left my W2 job and then I rolled it. Right. I maybe talk about that process a little bit. Cause a lot of people are curious on how to do that. Cause they want to get into real yeah. estate with part of it. And is there so, another? Yeah. 
The best way is, of course, if it's a former employer, your current employer won't let you take your existing 401k assets and put it elsewhere. But what you can do is you can figure out how much do they match? Like my company used to match up to 2%. So I would put up to that 2%, but then I wouldn't max out at 10 or 15% of my salary automatically into a 401k. I would just stop at that 2%. And then the rest of it, I would say automatically going into an IRA, like a self-directed IRA, that would then allow me to invest in real estate. So moving forward, even if you want to keep your W-2 job for the next 20 years that you love, you don't have to leave all your retirement savings in those 401k plans for which you do not understand the mutual funds or the mix or the fees. You could just say, I'm going to put the minimum to match. And then the rest of it, I'm going to put it into my self-directed IRA. And you'd be yeah. surprised how quickly, you know, you get up to those minimums to invest in real estate deals. Yeah. That's one way to do it. The other way is, of course, you can talk to your accountant about the best time to withdraw it, pay some penalties, but then offset it with maybe uh, depreciation or some other way mm. to, um, you know, make it make sense. Because a lot of my friends, when they quit their past W-2 jobs, they actually took their money out of retirement and used it to invest in real estate. So that would be definitely an accountant conversation to have. Yeah, no, I, I, I get asked all the time, you know, and that's, that's where most of people's wealth is and they, and they want to diversify and they should be because, you know, I think investing in real estate, it's not liquid, but you do get paid while you own it. You get some depreciation mm -hmm. benefits. You, you get some distributions. Um, mm -hmm. I always, I always resort to it. It's like the 401k that pays you monthly. I mean, um, you know, it's, it, your 401k really isn't liquid either, unless you're going to take a bunch of penalties. Mm -hmm. Um, right. exactly. That's, <laughs> I was like putting it that way. Um, uh, so say they left their W2 job or they're working on their, you know, explain that process of like, what can they do then? Well, what happened to you? You know, how, what, what was that like? So you can figure out if you're eligible for a solo 401k, depending on your situation, but anyone can put it into a self-directed IRA. So the minute you leave your W2, uh, you can find uh, many companies like Quest Trust, Equity Trust. There are so many different companies that do this and they will give you the paperwork and you fill it out to move all your money, roll it over from your existing, I don't know, 401k managed by Fidelity or whoever, and they will transfer it. And the process might take, you know, a couple of weeks. So you want to give yourself some time and you want to begin that rollover process because even if you love the stock market, you could still very much keep investing in stocks mm -hmm. when you have it in a self-directed IRA. It just gives you more flexibility to invest in other types of assets, whether that's precious metals, oil and gas, real estate, et cetera. You get a bigger variety of investment choices from a self-directed IRA with a custodian than um, just in your employer 401k plan, which is limited to mutual funds and stocks. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So you, you have 401k. I I mean, there's your options. Uh, listen to that again, because those that's valuable information. And, uh, you know, diversify, get curious about real estate and why you'd want to be an LP investor as you start out. Uh, there's so many benefits um, over investing in like a REIT or something like a fund where you're not going to see the, the tax benefits. So um what's like the what's some of the, mention, yeah yeah no i could mention something about REITs REITs are like stocks so you don't get to pick your individual assets like I like real estate because I get to pick the specific building at this address at yeah. this location that I know to be great versus the REIT you don't know where the buildings are located they could be in New York City where you have all these rental lots and they may not even be collecting rent and you know, like they could be in office buildings in New York City versus a nice apartment complex in the heart of Texas. Yeah. So 
you really want to be careful where you put your investments, you know, in terms of liquidity versus choice of what building. So five years from today, 10 years from today, are you better off putting your money into a building in a state like Texas versus in a building in New York City from an unknown REIT or mutual fund where you have no control? Yeah, I can't agree with that more. And you 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 just pay it's like a dividend stock you you're you're going to get taxed on that that money that you take in so uh it's not like investing in real estate in my opinion um if you want all the benefits of real estate and want to be hands off or passive you have to be in a syndication and and trust your operators and and let someone else drive the plane i i think you put it so well there um uh well, I got a few questions for you as we we kind of close here, and I I think we we took them to church here on on how to what an LPGP was. So I, I this is this is awesome. Um, what's one of your biggest fears? Um, skydiving, <laughs> jumping <laughs> off a plane. I, I turned scary. that a whole different way for you. I wanted to see uh, skydiving. Is it heights? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. I've had all kinds of answers like spiders and uh, uh, fear of failure, you know, um, sometimes as uh, GPs, you get fear of failure. Um, you don't want to let anybody down. You want to make sure you make the right decisions and make the right pivots. Um, but uh, skydiving is a big one. So yeah, hopefully, I'm, I'm hopefully, afraid of heights. Um, I got some friends from, uh, from the Dallas area. They go hog hunting out of helicopters. Is that something that you uh, entertain? I like helicopters. I don't know if I would necessarily shoot hogs because I think all animals are cute. I may not shoot them. Now it's true that I eat meat, but I can't watch them get shot. Okay. You know, like Bambi. You yeah, know, right. they hurt my feelings, you know, or, <laughs> or piglet is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, I got some wild friends from that, that area. So it sounds like they do that for entertainment purposes or something. So um, what would your 75-year-old self say to you right now? If they, if if you were, you know, seventy five, staring at a beach, what would you think about yourself right now, where you're at in your journey? Good job pushing yourself and not being afraid to try new things and fail at them. Good job going around, seeing the world, traveling, and living life on your own terms instead of following the traditional path. Yeah. That's what I would say to myself. Good job starting a third career in so called middle age as a you know a mom with a kid in college and doing a great job of that. So like yeah. I'm helping a lot of people realize that there is no age limit. You look at presidents of our country, they're so old and it means like, okay, I got several more decades before I run out of energy. So good job continuing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Old. We got the oldest one in there. I think uh, one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, one of the last questions, and then we want to we want to figure out how we can figure out where you're at and what you're doing, and and talk about your LinkedIn and and all the things you got going on. Um, but what does "unfollow the herd" mean to you? And follow the herd means uh, blaze your own trail. Do what makes sense for you. Don't worry about what everyone else thinks, says, and does. Only follow people who have done what you want to be doing in the future. So I, for example, had was surrounded by engineering friends who only had W-2s in their life. So when I mentioned real estate to them, they're like, oh, you don't know anything about it. Don't do it. That's too risky. And then I joined groups of people. And now I'm in conferences and networks where everyone is doing what I want to be doing. Yeah. And it's a completely different game changer. So do what makes sense for you and remove the naysayers in your life. 
I love that. I love that. Um, all right, Sonia, what uh, you wrote, you were in a book as well. And, or you hope you, you wrote part of the book and I want to talk about a little sure bit about did. that. Uh, tell us yeah, about that. the book. Yeah, it's called uh, Next Level Your Life. You can Google that on Amazon and you'll find it. And uh, this is um, this is what it looks like. Next Level Your Life. And uh, cool. we have several different authors who each wrote a chapter about how they did their next leveling of their life. So I started out with, you know, an $8 a week kind of food budget when I got to the United States because my parents made about 50 US dollars per month. And I wanted to come to college here at, you know, $10,000 a year plus in college. So the wow. only way to do that is to next level your life by thinking differently, right? You can't just follow a traditional path. If my parents saved every dime of their money, I still couldn't have made it here. So I had to get a scholarship. I had to find a way that somebody would pay for me to come wow. here and get a full ride so that I could go to college here. And that's how I ended up staying here. So next level your life is really about inspiring stories from several great people as to how, you know, it doesn't matter where you started or where you were, you can next level to whatever it is that you want to be. You just got to believe in yourself, like the miracle equation goes, you know, unwavering faith plus extraordinary effort will get you there. Wow. Uh, you're inspiring me. Now I now I got to go out and do something bigger. Uh, you're always pushing yeah. me too. So that's, that's so awesome. Make sure to go to Amazon, grab that book. Um, uh, there's a bunch of good stories. Uh, I'm sure it's a great, uh, a great book. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to order that myself. I, I got all my fall reads kind of like in a line that I want to read. I've been in podcast journey lately. So I'm glad you're able to jump on today. How else, what else are you pushing content? Uh, how can we find out? I about am, so I'm focusing a lot on the operation side, which is the back end. So, you know, all of us talk and spend so much time planning a wedding and planning the honeymoon, but nobody really talks about the marriage. So in real estate, similarly, people celebrate closing and acquisition, you know, acquisition is emphasized, raising capital is emphasized. But the other side of it, which is what happens after closing, you have to execute the business plan and deliver to your investors. Mm -hmm. And so being a strong asset manager, focusing on multifamily operations is so important that I recently started an inner circle group, aceoperators.com, just mm -hmm. to teach people how to do an asset manager's role while you don't micromanage your property management, but how do you motivate them and inspire them to execute your business plan and navigate all these rough waters of high interest rates the next couple of years? You no longer have the easy cap rate compression helping you just make money on deals. Now operational excellence is what's going to differentiate. So the next mm. couple of years, survive till 2025, is from focusing on operations. So don't neglect that. Don't turn the keys to the property management company and expect them to do it with the same level of motivation and passion as you who has to report to investors who trusted you with tens of millions of dollars. That's a very wow. big responsibility to take it seriously, focus on operations. So that's what I'm really emphasizing this year. And that's aceoperators.com? Yep. Okay, perfect. Yeah, no, I... Hey, if you want to learn how to run it, operations is so important right now. This economy, this is where things are, you know, shaky mm -hmm. in the holding pattern because you got debts are, are, you know, if they didn't perform their debts, right. And they didn't do cap rates, uh, max cap rate, they're probably in a, some trouble. I'm guessing a rate mm -hmm. cap. Sorry. Yeah. 
And, uh, yeah. you know, and just operations, everyone's refining operate. We're refining as a construction company, trying to just trim the fat, like try to figure out how to be better yeah. each and every day. Uh, exactly. Same, same thing you, you need to, to do on a property. Revenue. Yes. You have to increase revenue in ways that residents want to pay for. They may not want to pay you $200 more just because you gave them a stainless steel fridge, you know, but yeah. if you installed washers and dryers, as an example, that's something they're willing to pay an extra mm -hmm. $30, $40 for because it's something they need to do anyway. So yep. find ways to increase your income in ways residents appreciate and find those hidden pennies in the couch and cut back on your expenses. Do uh, all of those things is what we dive into in this inner circle for wow. operations. I love that. Um no, that's uh, make sure you're signed up aceoperators.com. And then you, uh, you also are a GP that has deals uh, with engineered capital. Yes, this year, I don't have any new deals yet, because I would rather not have a deal at all than be in a <laughs> deal that's in trouble, that will give me sleepless nights, and I have answered investors. So when the right deal comes along, I'll have it. I usually only do two to three deals a year at the most. And my investors, that's why I don't have trouble filling them up because my investors know that if Sandia finds a deal that in her local market where she's lived for over 30 years, yeah. you know, it's going to be good. So I've yep. never had too much trouble raising money for deals, but the right deal has to come along for it. I'm not just going to jump in because, oh, I need the acquisition fee to yeah. fund my livelihood. That's not how yeah. it works. Well, yeah, if you want honest, uh, honest operator, that's, uh, you know, make sure you get in one of her deals. She only has a few a year and, and, uh, make sure you're going to sign up there. Uh, she also takes us to church on LinkedIn and the asset management space and everything we talked about in this podcast. Um, make sure you go and find her there. And, uh, I appreciate you being on here. This is awesome. I, I know we were trying to connect for a while. So this is good that we were able to have you on. I think uh, a lot of people should have got some education from today. So, Sonia, thank you so much. You have a good day. We'll we'll talk soon. Thank you very, very much, Mac. You're doing amazing things. It's great to connect with you. All right. Have a have a good one. See you. Yeah. Bye. Bye.